Today on the podcast, our guest is author Nicole Dennis-Ben, the author of the new novel, Here Comes the Sun, which shows the other side of the tourism industry in Jamaica. This is WSJ Speakeasy, your source for entertainment, pop culture, celebrity, and the arts. Hey, it's Christopher John Farley. I'm a senior editor of the Wall Street Journal. My guest today in the podcast is Nicole Dennis-Ben. She's the author of the new novel, Here Comes the Sun. And Nicole was kind enough to join me in the studio to talk about her new book, which is getting rave reviews. Nicole, thanks for joining us here at the Wall Street Journal. Yes, thank you for having me. Now, what I found fascinating about this book is people have this image of Jamaica. You think of Bob Marley. You think of Usain Bolt. You think of Laid Back. You think of pristine beaches and five-star hotels. But your book kind of shows another side to Jamaica that a lot of people who don't live there and have spent a lot of time there might not know about. Uh, right. Where did you get that information from to find out about this other life of Jamaica? Is, is it real or is it something you've imagined? Yeah, well, partial real and partial imagined. So I grew up in Jamaica. I, was, I lived there until I was 17 years old. And so, you know, I grew up working class. So, so I was really privy from the get-go of, like, how certain people struggled. So my mother worked on the North Coast. And we'd drive out there, you know, because she worked as a customs officer. And I realized that she would make remarks like, oh, my gosh, that beach used to be um, for us. It used to be free. But now you have to be a guest in a resort to actually, att- to actually get into that beach and just how slowly but surely the land was being taken over I mean not that it's um, a bad thing for um, foreigners to come there but one thing that I realized is that uh, work, a lot of working class Jamaicans have no ownership of the land itself and I know it used to um, um, piqued my curiosity when I was there living there but now when I'm away from it and I have gained more insight it really um, made me realize that well maybe I could write or tell a story about this what does that feel like from that in, from being on the inside and seeing the slow changes um, via the tourism industry and also how our culture also is being watered down for that very same reason which I know we'll discuss as well but one of the things that really irked me especially being Jamaican myself and now living in the United States and then going back home as a tourist, you know, I feel like my country doesn't feel like mine anymore. And um, that's something I grappled with, which was really the seed that was Here Comes the Sun. Now, what I found fascinating about this book, reading it, is it's a literary novel, you know, very intelligent, very well-crafted, terrific um, uh, wordplay and, 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 and very literate. Uh, Marlon James, the author of the uh, A Brief History of Seven Killings, he gives a blurb on the back. But right. it's also a page turner. It's a kind of book you want to bring to the beach because you want to find out what happens next. Um, is that something that you were very conscious of doing? You wanted to make it both literary and the kind of book that people would want to you know, share with friends? Definitely. You know, one of, the th- one of my other great influence was Toni Morrison, and she said she wants to write the books that she wants to read. And for me, I want to write the books that I would want to read. So I'm definite, I have an MFA in fiction, so yes, literary fiction is very, was a very important to me, you know, studying literary fiction. But then I realized that I'm also writing for the people who I want to read my books. So these are people who... Um, could be from all walks of life that I'd want them to also lose themselves in the story itself, but not just with the prose. So like that balancing act of a good plot, but also complex characters as well. Now, it's fascinating you should mention Toni Morrison because yes. her name came to my mind as I read this book. Really? Because, yeah, because The Bluest Eye, of course, is about yes. a young girl who wants to have blue eyes, right. who has problems with her, her, her skin color. And in this book, 
Tandy, one of the main characters, of course, is bleaching her skin. She thinks that she's too dark. She right. thinks that dark isn't pretty, that it won't be accepted. It won't get her up the cultural ladder. Right. And you're going to read an excerpt for us from yes. the book that deals with that. Can, I'd love to hear you read that right now. For sure. For sure. I would read it myself, but um, I, I left Jamaica when I was only a few weeks old. And I think oh your voice goodness. will sound better for this. Yes. So let's hear you read part of your new book, Here Comes the Sun. And just to give you context, Tandy is actually in Miss Ruby's shack. Miss Ruby is a neighborhood woman who actually mixed up these concoctions to lighten women's skin. So here we go. I used to be black like you, but look at me now. Miss Ruby turns her head from side to side for Tandy to see her salmon-colored skin. Delicate with the texture of scalded milk. See how bright my skin come? If you follow instructions, yours will get this way quicker. Know that you have the queen of pearl? You might be lucky. If you want faster results, use it twice a day. She rubs the concoction up and down Tandy's neck, back, arms, and shoulders. She rubs everywhere but her butt. Miss Ruby is hardly tender. Tandy wonders if Miss Ruby's roughness is punishment for not having followed instructions earlier. She imagines her blackness peeling off, the hydrogen peroxide Miss Ruby pours into the mixture, acting like an abrasive, a medicine for her melancholy. She closes her eyes as the warm formula touches her skin. Miss Ruby works her way to Tandy's chest. The circular motion of a stranger's hands on her breast makes Tandy blush. She has never been touched this way. She opens her eyes and searches for something, anything, that can take her mind off the sensation of this strange woman's fingers. She imagines herself as a fish Miss Ruby rubs down with salt and vinegar before frying. Her eyes find the ceiling. Had she been able to lift her arm, she would trace the things she sees projected from her mind. Luckily you have good hair already, Miss Ruby says. Good coolie hair. Your daddy's an Indian? I don't know, Tandy says, still staring up at the planks in the ceiling. Never met him. Well, God played a cruel joke on you. Because, child, if your skin was as pretty as your hair, you'd be one gorgeous woman. Miss Ruby isn't saying anything Tandy hasn't heard before. Her mother says the same thing, often shaking her head the way she does over burned food that has to go to waste. It's a pity you never have skin like your daddy. Tandy's neither the nutmeg brown that makes her sister Margot an honorable mistress, a wrong lower than the bright-skinned wife, nor is she black like her mother Dolores, whose skin makes people sympathetic when they see her. Who want to be black like that in this place, Miss Ruby once said to Tandy about her mother. Miss Ruby gives Tandy the homemade mixture in the jar for her to apply as needed. Only as needed, she stresses. These are very strong chemicals that could kill you. She then reaches for the saran wrap and begins to wrap Tandy's arms and torso. A mummified Tandy sits and listens to Miss Ruby's instructions. If you want to come quicker, leave on the plastic. Don't wash, don't go in the sun. If you have to go in the sun for whatever reason, make sure say you cover up at all times from head to toe. If you start to feel like you're going faint, just drink water. If you sweat more, you'll sweat more. Whatever you do, not take off the plastic and remember... Stay out of that sun. Miss Ruby repeats these words like an ominous warning, her eyes pouring into Tandy's. Tandy listens and nods, though she wants to rip the saran wrap off and jump in the river. She imagines her skin boiling, becoming molten liquid underneath the plastic wrap. Do I have to wear this all the time? Tandy asks. 
Heat and sweat is your advantage. Just bear it, Miss Ruby says, stamping her with a look. Tandy regrets saying anything, sensing her complaint might be interpreted as her wanting less out of life. Less opportunity, less chance of attracting the type of boys her mother and sister want her to attract. The type who will be at the pool party for sure. Less chance of acceptance in school. Less chance to flunk school. The only ship on which black girls like her could float, given that their looks will never do it for them. Her mother tells her this too. The only thing you have going for you is your education. No ruin it. Meanwhile, the unintelligent brownings in school end up with modeling contracts or with boyfriends with money they can spend on them. The less attractive ones get good jobs in their family businesses. What else does she have to fall back on if she fails the exam besides her drawings? But no one wants those. No one respects an artist. So when Tandy puts her clothes on, she pretends to ignore the crinkling of the plastic under her uniform and the nausea that comes over her. Miss Ruby examines her skin, her eyes like a razor, raking over Tandy's body as though looking for areas she might have missed. Dark patches that need to be rubbed, scrubbed down with the rigor of someone scouring the bottom of a burnt pot. Or the way she used to scale fish. Her dark eyes having them the subtle hostility that reminds Tandy of the way the girls and nuns at school look at her. Can she tell Tandy doesn't belong? Can she sniff her deceit? Perhaps in that moment, Tandy reminds her of someone who did her wrong. Or of herself, the way she looked before she bleached her skin. How suddenly her mood changes once Tandy pays her, her the money. Remember to stay out of that sun like I tell you, Miss Ruby says. Because you and I both know, God not like ugly. So that was an excerpt from Nicole Dennis Benz's new book, Here Comes the Sun. It's a debut novel. Yes. And the novel has a fascinating premise. It's about a group of women who are sort of living in the shadow of the hotel industry yes. in Jamaica. They're dealing with various issues from shade consciousness to right. sexuality to homophobia right. to economic oppression. So yes. it's this cultural stew you've thrown into the mix. Definitely. What, uh, how did those issues affect you growing up in Jamaica? Wow. Uh, well, definitely the economic disadvantage. I've seen it firsthand, you know, as I said, growing up working class. And, you know, I, like Tandy, you know, I was um, growing up working class, but then I got accepted into this elite high school, St. Andrew High School for Girls. And that was when I became even more aware of class divides in the, on the island itself. I mean, my parents were all, always aware of it, and somehow they tried protecting us from it. But then when I, me myself started noticing, those were the, the times the questions started coming, like, oh, how is it that so-and-so, you know, gets certain opportunities? Or how is it that so-and-so is called pretty? And, you know, you know, I was never called pretty. Like, you know, all these, like, questions that my mother had to, you know, eventually explain the differences. And that really stood out to me. And then another thing, too, um, in terms of the... Um, the homophobia there. I was not out as a lesbian in Jamaica. You know, I came out when I moved to the United States. So I never really experienced homophobia there. But I know how Jamaica is. So I returned to Jamaica visiting as a college student. And I had friends at University of the West Indies. And we had, you know, these, these parties up in the hills, very secretive. And I saw how secretive they had to be. You know, we, had, we knew about these things through text message. And one friend sat me down and said, well, you cannot mention to anyone that you're coming here if 
the taxi is dropping you here, have them drop you at the foot of the hill just to make sure that no one ruins it for them in, them t- in terms of what the, at the time where they were anticipating in terms of the balance. And th- we're talking about 2001, 2002, 2003 here, you know, and so those were the things that I'm, I was more aware of going back home. Um, another thing too that I touched on in the book was, um, as you asked earlier, the tourism industry. And as I said earlier, you know, going back home again and seeing the performance, you know, how people of my culture perform. There's a fantasy that we um, give tourists, but then they go home and it's a completely different thing. And these are the people who I wanted to write about, whose lives I wanted individuals to see up close and personal. Now, the book is set in 1994. Right, yes. I wonder, have things gotten better in Jamaica since then, particularly in regards to homophobia? Do you think it's just as bad now as it was, say, in the time of this book? Yes. I, you know, people would say no. There, there, there are definitely people who would say definitely not because what's going on now, the tourism is, industry is so prominent now. It's our revenue. So it kills a lot of individuals to hear, oh my gosh, she's saying that Individuals who are gay or lesbian cannot come to the island anymore because it's highly homophobic. Truth is, the hotel industry is very open to lesbian and gays. In fact, because they're so um, like so interested in the money, in the revenue, they'll accept anyone. My wife and I would not even have gotten married in in the resorts or in the hotels or in the villas if if no one was was with it, right? But in the, in the in terms of the rest of the country. It's not. We're highly, a very highly religious country, you know, as you know. And so a lot of the things that we do here in America, like hold, hold each other's hands, have rights, you know, not get fired if we're found out to be gay or lesbian. You know, that in, the, in, the, in Jamaica, nobody has that luxury unless if they're in academia or in the arts or they're designers to individuals who, you know, they, they call them the functional gays and lesbians where you know, people probably might know about their lifestyle, but because they can do what they can do for them. You know, so it's that... Um, it not only the class division that um, insulates certain gays and lesbians there, there, but also, you know, where they exist, the worlds in which they exist in. In your book, uh, being an out, uh, uh, out about your sexuality has its has its. You can be punished for that. Yes. You know, uh, two women conduct a sort of underground relationship in the book. Another woman. Um, uh, is sort of tricked into having a relationship with a prostitute, and she ends up losing her job. Uh, right. But in real life, you actually went back to Jamaica and had your wedding, one of the first really sort of public gay uh, uh, lesbian weddings on the island. Right. Tell me a bit about your decision to do that and what that was like, and why wasn't I invited? Oh, <laughs> Well, you know, it's this me having my wedding there. First of all, the decision was actually born here. A friend of mine, um, she and I were having um, br- brunch or was it dinner? And she mentioned to me, oh, you know, it's, it's possible if you book a private villa and you and um, your wife could actually have a nice reception there. Right. Not the wedding itself, because the, the legal stuff had to happen here, but just a reception. And so I thought it was a great idea because one thing that, I, that had happened to me after leaving the country was me, I was in mourning because I felt like I'd lost so much by just being away from Jamaica for so long. And so I said to myself, if this is going to be a part of my, my journey into marriage or anything at all for my next chapter, I want to also include the land of my birth, which is Jamaica. So I felt that I was here in my wife's country. She's American. And so I wanted a, a bit to be in Jamaica, my country as well. So knowing the kind of atmosphere Jamaica is, we opted for the private wedding, and the private celebration, but not realizing that 
um, people were going to, the word was going to spread outside of that. So I was highly horrified when, when I found out. My wife was definitely horrified. She was scared for me and for us going back there. But then realizing that, oh, well, I'm a writer. How about me just writing this story as it, as it is or as, as it was? Um, letting individuals know that we were two women in love. We're two women in love. There was nothing demonic, which, you know, when the paper published the story at first, they were saying, oh, these lesbians should be punished for even doing this on our, in our country. You know, um, one pastor was very, very adamant about that. And so I, I knew I had to tell the story our way. Okay, we're going to be right back with more from Nicole dennis Ben, the author of the new novel, Here Comes the Sun. Hi, this is Kevin Sitzemong. This is Beth Cracklauer. Check us out on the Off-Duty Podcast. We talk about food, cocktails, all of the finer things in life. Check us out at wsj.com slash podcast. And become a subscriber on iTunes. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Hey, this is Christopher John Farley, a senior editor at the Wall Street Journal. I'm here with Nicole Dennis-Ben. She's the author of the new novel, Here Comes the Sun. Okay, another thing I find interesting about this book is it sort of tackles the whole paradox of development. On one hand, you want to have industries come into your island and build hotels and employ people and give people a way to feed their families. But on the other hand, that sometimes comes with a crushing cost where they they take away neighborhoods and they push away old ways of living and doing things. And your characters in this book face that firsthand. Tell me a bit about why you thought that was an interesting area to explore in your book and and what you've seen of that growing up in Jamaica. Yes, I um, talk about loss a lot because, you know, Really, my loss was felt returning to the country itself and seeing these new developments. You know, they were already established. You know, my mom saw bits and pieces of it while we were driving when I was living there. But returning years later and seeing that they were there to stay, there was no, they were going anywhere. And yes, there's a positive of giving people's jo- people jobs, but really, a lot of these individuals are being paid minimum wage or less. You know, so it's 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 really, as I said in the book, chicken feed. You know, in Margot's words, because they're they have this established job. It's like they're they're glorified servants, and their job is solely to sell the country to tourists. That's their job, and then they go home to nothing at all. Like the chicken feed that they get is to buy grocery, maybe a, a, a uniform or two for a, an offspring, but really it's not to invest in wealth or ownership which a lot of the individuals who are building these hotels and getting rich off of our land is doing. You know, and one of the things that I stress is that our country is beautiful, right? The land itself is beautiful, but I think the real beauty is in the people and it's in our culture and it's sad for me to see that goal. Like to see people are looking at the land but dismissing the people and then taking our culture and exporting it as well. Like they they like um I mean given that there's nothing else to export, but our culture is being exported and watered down for the masses. And so people take advantage of that, and I call that exploitation. And another um, sort of uh, angle to the exploitation issue is, in your book, Mm -hmm. we see women often marginalized economically and socially, um, not getting the kind of job promotions they deserve on the merits, um, and and finding finding themselves really at odds with a world sort of ruled by Mm -hmm. Jamaican men. And I'm wondering, is it worse in Jamaica than in America? Because Jamaica actually has had a female prime minister, yes. a female head of state. Uh, America hasn't gotten there yet. And I'm wondering yes. if you think, as someone who's lived in both Jamaica and America, mm-hmm. if 
if the gender wars are worse in Jamaica than mm. here. Right. Well, you know, in Jamaica, you know, w- w- let me tell you a story. I was there just um, weeks ago. Um, I was on Smile Jamaica, and then I was featured in the Jamaica Gleaner. And the word feminism came up. And I, um, I made the mistake of reading certain responses because, you know, the Jamaica Gleaner, there's always responses. <laughs> and some um, people had a problem with me saying feminist. Like, wh- who is a feminist? And somehow there's a negative connotation to that. So, you know, I won't even say the F word here. Let me just say, say this. Growing up in Jamaica... Women are the face of businesses. You go into a, a, a business and there's a woman at the front desk. You, is a woman, there's a woman taking you to the back. There's a woman giving you water. There's a woman everywhere, right, um, which is interesting. And also the, the households mostly are run by women. So it's a very female-dominated society. Um, the male energy is a, a little less. I mean, it's very, definitely there. It's very forceful, but it's not seen, right? So it's just a very interesting um, dynamic as well. Um, and so with even having a female prime minister, of course, there was a woman on the forefront, but she, I felt like, was so so um, bogged down or also fought by the male energy in parliament. Like even Lisa Hanna, who was criticized, you know, I think it was more than her bathing suit that she was criticized for. She was also criticized for being a woman. And I feel like I've seen our female um, ministers have to fight in this male-dominated um, realm. Um, so it's so interesting that you said that, well, no, living in the country, Hillary Clinton, no, maybe she might be our first female president. But I really did think that Portia Simpson had it hard. People say it was her class. She was not articulate enough. All these things, all these rocks that they throw at her. But I really feel like the undercurrent is that because she's a woman and she's running the country. And unfortunately, she ended up just stepping back. She gave up the fight, unfortunately. Yeah, Um now, also, uh, Marlon James, you mentioned before, the author of A Brief History of Seven Killings. Yes. He gave you a blurb for the book. Right. Uh, what kind of um, sort of literary relationship do you have with him? Is he someone who's been a, a booster of your career? Was he an inspiration for you? I'm just wondering, since he's sort of one of the biggest Jamaican writers out there right now. Yeah. Um, well, before, um, first of all, before all this, you know, before A Brief History, before Here Comes the Sun, I had looked at Marlon as a mentor. Um, I remember reading um, a book of Night Women and being so in love with that book, you know, and so captivated by all the characters itself. And I've never seen literature, Jamaican literature, written that way before, where I could actually identify with certain characters. And so I remember reaching out to Marlon. I remember, you know, saying, oh, wow, you know, can you give me advice? Because at the time I was um, looking to see how I can actually establish myself as a writer. I'd just I'd actually been in the MFA program. And, you know, he he took the time. He read excerpts of a, another novel I had, which nobody has seen because, you know, it's now hidden on, under my bed. But um, but he took that time. He actually took that time. And I think that's when our um, relationship developed. I mean, of course, now, you know, he's so busy. But I was so happy when he um, gave me this blurb, you know, knowing that, wow, it came back full circle where this is now happening. I know we're in, like, existing in this, like, parallel um, universe that, you know, crisscross as I should say. And now a lot of black American writers often face the criticism from people about whether their books are positive enough. Are you showing the best face of the African-American community? And you, of course, along with Marlon James, have sometimes faced some criticism. Is this a positive image of Jamaica, especially with, it's a, since it's a country that's lifeblood 
is tourism. Mm -hmm. How much was that in your mind as an artist, or is it something as an artist you have to set aside and just sort of follow your muse? Yeah, I had to set that aside. You know, I did not think about that because I feel like, you know, there's there's power in the telling. And I had a conversation um, months ago with a fellow um, author, Chinelok Paranta, a Nigerian author, and we both talk about writers as ambassadors. And, you know, even Marlon James himself said, you don't work for the Jamaica Tourist Board, you know? And so I was so happy that while I was writing here comes the sun and never once thought about that i thought that it's important to show the people who are never seen you know i've never seen complex women characters represented in our literature i've just never seen it i mean yes marlon james had the book of night women but i've never seen a dolores i've never seen a tandy i've never seen a Margot or verdine up close and personal there's also a lot of music in the book i mean dennis yes. brown of course bob marley yes um, third Booth. world shows up uh how much did music sort of uh, inspire you as you're writing this book? A lot. A lot. I, those, those people that you just mentioned, I had them on replay while I was writing. And um, I feel like it's very soothing. I mean, when I'm, when I'm revising, they're, they're playing. While I'm writing, it's in silence. But I wanted to put as much as our, of our culture in this book as possible. Not only the music, but food. And so, you know, you saw one, in one scene, Verdian Moore, who's the outcast in the community, was playing Ken Booth. Right, that that was the person who was helping her cook and you know be all fancy for her her lover, and then there was that time when Margot found out for the first time that she did not have the promotion and he had ninety six degrees in the shade by Third World playing in the background, you know. So I like that contrast. And then when Margot had um, sweetness um, seduce that prominent figure, I wouldn't say who she is as yet. Um, you know, you had um, Chicken Mary Hawk, the near, right? What a bam bam. And, or, you know, you had these songs playing in the background. And I, I like to think of it as um, um, soundtracks, really. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. Music definitely influenced me a lot. Is something happening in the Caribbean lit, lit, uh, literary community in recent years? I and, mean, of course, you have the Calabash Festival, which is going strong. Yes. Marlon James, you. Colin Channer, yeah. uh, and aside from Jamaica, people like Edwige Danticott um, uh, make, making ways. Um, is something happening, do you feel? I mean, what, what's, yes. what's going on where we're seeing all these prominent writers mm-hmm. getting attention far beyond the Caribbean, really making a global imprint? Right. Um, I, would, I don't know, because, you know, it's so funny, because not only in literature, but even in music and even in art, like, you know, there's this whole concept of, oh, you know, the flavor of the month kind of thing. And I'm very, I'm definitely, um, it's unfortunate, right? But I'm wondering, too, like, you know, we see us, but the thing is that, yeah, always had Colin Chana. You've always, Edwidge and Colin Chana have always been existing, right? You know, they were there even before the me and the Marlins. Colin Chana's been there since the Blue Mountains, right? right? Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, the first Jamaica, and that's the thing, I, I read... Um, um, waiting in vain, like long ago, and fell in love with that book. So I don't even think, I, I think it's wrong to say it's the moment. I just think we're getting, our voices are finally being heard. That's what I would say. You know, our voices are finally coming out there. They're realizing that there's more of us out there, and we're a force. You know, we there's some more to us than the beaches and the, the palm trees. That's what I'm thinking. Well, on that note, uh, the book is Here Comes the Sun. The author is Nicole Dennis-Ben. Thanks a lot for joining me here at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Chris.